0: Hello everyone and welcome to Volume 7, Issue 328 of Kane and Rince. Uh, We will be covering Braid in this issue, but before we get on to that, play along with the show. Um, upcoming issues include Secret of Mana, Resident Evil Zero, Daytona USA, Final Fantasy V and Valkyria Chronicles. Please also head over to the Kane and Rinse website, cananrinse.com And if you feel like giving something back to the podcast, we have a Patreon. Go to Patreon.com slash Just a dollar. A month can really help us out. If you donate now, you can get access to the Mega Drive slash Genesis special. Um, That's exclusive to Patreon uh, contributors until the end of September before it's released publicly. Um, This will be the case with all uh, console specials. They'll be exclusive to Patreon contributors until the next one is released on patreon remember we have a sister podcast in the form of sound of play um, where we talk about all our favorite video game music not enough of you who listen subscribe to that podcast so please listen to it it's some of our best work and also the usual subscribe review and rate on your podcast app of uh, choice all of that stuff really helps us follow us on facebook instagram and Twitter. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in issue 328 are Tony Atkins. Hello. Darren Gargett. Hello. And new to Cain and Rince, Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Hello. Welcome to Kane and Rince, Brian. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you very much. In today's issue, we will be covering Braid, This is a 2D puzzle platformer in the uh, same ilk as something like Mario. Um, It was developed by uh, Number None, uh, which is pretty much Jonathan Blow, uh, published by Number None and uh, Microsoft Game Studios for 360. Lead designer, programmer, pretty much everything was uh, Jonathan Blow, uh, on this title, um, we will get into kind of his legacy and his reputation uh, in the industry later on. Um, the artist for this game was David Hellman. Composers include Jamie Sieber, Shira Kamen, Cheryl Ann Fulton. So this was released on Xbox 360 in August 2018 in the first summer of arcade. Remember summer of arcade, guys? Oh, that was. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, I loved it. It was such a good idea. I wish something like that would come back. But um, yeah, that that uh, that Summer of Arcade included uh, Bionic Commando Rearmed, mm. Castle Crashers, Galaga Legions, and Geometry Raw's Retro Evolved 2. Um, so yeah, a lot of what went on to kind of establish the tone of uh, Summer of Arcade started uh, right with the very first one. Um, And a lot of people would attribute Summer of Arcade and specifically Braid for um, opening the floodgates for a lot of indie games on consoles. We'll talk about that in a bit uh, later on. Um, It was also released on uh, Microsoft Windows on April 10th of 2009, Mac, May 20th, 2009, and then uh, finally PlayStation 3 in North America, November 12th, 2019, and in European territories, December 17th, 2019. Um, The game reviewed extremely well. Um, It got a 93 average on Metacritic for the Xbox 360 version, uh, 90 for PC, and 93 for PS3. And uh, I don't think there's really been any kind of critical re-evaluation of this title, Um, I think though the general consensus is still very much positive on this game though there are the, uh, the games detractors which we'll get into in a bit um so let's now dive into our histories i'd like to start with tony summer arcade was a big thing the assignment for games around
1: that point uh was high and braid was you know this indie darling that had been talked about for ages to be honest so i had a quick look as i a- tend to do is see when i played it and apparently i played it on day of release and uh completed it on day of release so <laughs> um must have been yeah, pretty much a, a sit down for for majority of the day and, and complete it through darren
2: yeah so on that summer of arcade i didn't go for braid i went for castle crashers because that was a lot more in tune with my head you know colors and craziness and rpg leveling mechanics and stuff like that Braid always seemed attractive to me because it looked like it was going to test my brain. I tried it around a friend's house, and I didn't really, I didn't really like it. It was hard to get into a puzzle game when you try it around a friend's house, especially when there's you know <laughs> alcohol involved. So it wasn't the best environment. So then I tried it um, in a humble in a in a humble bundle, excuse me, and I kind of bounced off of it. I think in between this, I watched indie game the movie, and I was very much you know you know in tune with Edmund McMillan and um, Fez Phil Fish, you know, and um, and Jonathan Blow was also there. Um yeah, so it was all kind of like, all, all all those kind of people were there. And all oh, Jonathan Blow was always on the outside for me because I'd never played Braid. And it always looked really interesting, you know. It always looked like I should be playing this game. I should be enjoying it. And I tried again and I bounced off of it. And I always thought, you know, it just wasn't my time to play this yet. And um, I put my name down for this show because it kind of forced me to play through it. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll get onto my real feelings, uh, you know, as the show progresses. But I dabbled with it many times and finally pushed
1: through. Um, yeah, interesting do you know what I ne- I'm about the same story of Castle Crashers I've never enjoyed Castle Crashers <laughs> ah. and I've always bounced off it so maybe one day we'll do it on the show and I'll finally get through it Brian
3: yeah I was pretty close to day of release I, I checked uh, my achievement status uh, on the game this morning and it looks like I completed it in early September so it was relatively close um, to day release and this time in my gaming history, I was still a little resistant to downloading uh, games mm-hmm. to my consoles. I have always very much been a collector of physical things, so uh, I was not really uh, not nearly as much as I am now into the downloading the digital titles. But I remember just the buzz around the game when it was first released, all the critical acclaim that it received. I decided that I I would in, in the time bite the bullet and, and download it, and so I got it maybe a month or so after release. I I played through it the same thing. Um, as, as Jay, I, I finished it in a in, in a in a day, and so I started it and finished it on the same day, excuse me, as Tony did. Yeah, I'll get in my thoughts about the game as a whole later on, but pretty early on for me, and then I've revisited it a couple times throughout the years just to kind of marvel at some of the sound and artwork, uh, specifically when thinking of its relationship to other games that have followed it.
0: I didn't buy this at launch, but I did buy it on 360 at least within a year of release. And I bounced off of it hard. Um, I think I only got into uh, two worlds um, before I uh, had to give up. Um, And then basically ever since 2008 um, or 2009, whenever I bought it, I've just been spending years kind of going back to it and thinking, I should like this. Everyone loves this. (laughs) Trying it, bouncing off of it again, trying it, bouncing off again, trying it. Um, I bought it in a Steam sale because I thought if I have it on PC I'm more likely to play it and actually complete it and my theory um, ended up being accurate. Um, I did end up completing it a couple of years ago and I will share my thoughts on my uh, conclusions on the game uh, in a bit. Just to give you a Sneak preview that summer of arcade. There were only really two games that I really uh, look back on and think actually those two games are great. Um, it's Bionic Commando Rearmed and uh, Geometry roars Retro Evolved Two. I like uh, Tony. Have never really uh, liked Castle Crashers. <laughs> um, I I just yeah I don't get the appeal at all um and uh i'm gonna say similar things about uh, braid anyway so um
1: it's interesting to talk about you know time and place when this was released 2009 obviously 10 well getting on for 10 years ago yeah the environment was very different releasing you know these small indie games into, yeah. onto the platform i think it absolutely it, it thrusted braid into a limelight that i'm i'm not even sure jonathan blow <laughs> was necessarily comfortable with by by the end of
0: that process I think, I've, I think I was going to save this until later on, but actually it's probably worth, worth talking about it now um, because it is kind of the most forefront mm. subject with this game is Braid's impact on the industry. Because, look, I, I don't like the game, that much is clear, but I cannot deny its importance. It is monumentally important in terms of uh, sculpting, the industry to be what it is today indie games on consoles and it's really hard to put yourself in this mindset but indie games on consoles weren't really a thing until 2008 like there were loads of indie stuff on pc if you were into pc oh, yeah. stuff yeah you were oh you were katie mm. i mean like cave story came out um years before uh, braid um braid um came to the scene but on console, it was really just the big publishers and whatever they were putting out. And if they, you know, de- you know, deemed a smaller B tier project worthy of funding, then they'd bring that to console. But there was nothing on the scale of Braid on on consoles. Even if you look at that, I mean, uh,
1: Bionic, Commando, Commander, it's a it's a big name. I mean, yes, it was a slightly different take on it, but it, it's a big name. In Geometry which was obviously had a big studio behind yeah, yeah. it. I look back now and it's a unusual braid is an unusual game from the outset and it's the kind of game that you know by today's standards i think there is quite a few of but i I think tonally it was quite an unusual game to be released on a platform as big as the xbox 360 Um, and it really did seem to open up the floodgates for other people to go do you know what there may be an audience for this this is sold really Mm. well and you know fair play for, for you know microsoft in particular at that time kind of taking it and pushing it and putting it into the forefront of promotions and stuff because it, you know it wasn't something that was just happening in the industry at that time and history speaks for itself right you know all but 10 years down the line and it's the other way around you can't <laughs> you can barely swim against the tide of indie releases versus actual full retail releases now
3: it actually goes a long way too just thinking about the summer arcade and looking at those other three titles and how very much arcade like those titles are mm. The way yeah, they play, yeah, action-oriented, very, you know, kind of dip in, dip out. And Braid was just, whether you liked it or not, it just was an outlier in that group. It was something that had never really existed on the platform before. And it really, I remember kind of opening my eyes to like the impact, uh, not the impact, to the potential of what the console space could become. I mean, this is now 10 years ago, we're, we're thinking about it now. And, and we kind of, as these, your limbo and are inside and these games come out, it's, Their expected day one console release, but at the time, I I truly don't remember playing anything quite like that on on the console before, as opposed to you know on PC where you could really get into it.
2: It was such an outlier visually, you know, aesthetically. Mm Uh, and gameplay you know Soldier Boy was you know famously ripping this game to pieces uh, on YouTube you know he was just absolutely caning it like you know look at this this I can't I'm not going to quote it but you know he's like look at this guy zipping backwards and forwards in time and like everyone was just like you know watching this video and you know the exposure for that game purely came around because the game was so different at the time compared to you know other things on the platform downloadably like there was no way like Summer of Arcade kind of is the wrong title for this game as a promotional tool because you wouldn't Mm -hmm. wouldn't find this an arcade like this game is like it's like library the video game in my head like it's so (laughs) it's so serious looking and it's so serious sounding and stuff it doesn't really belong in an arcade so to speak
0: but it but it's interesting because summer of arcade ended up shaping its identity around braid Uh, like if you look at the later summer of arcades Mm -hmm. most of the games that are released are in the mold of braid not in the mold of bionic commando rearmed which, like, I love that game, but, like, that is a very, you know, retro-style kind of, uh, you know, it's a remake, whereas Braid was actually doing something really daring and new, and Limbo and stuff like that really followed suit. I think it helps at
1: the time, obviously, when you're trying to set up what you kind of deem as an indie platform. Braid had kind of been around the blocks for a while, and it obviously been to a number of different shows and events, and, yeah, there was plenty of people talking about a love for Braid, and i I can see why at that point it ends up on a a list of things that could be potentials to be on a platform to push a new initiative so you know i think from an from a um, publisher point of view trying to push something on the platform to pick up what was a fairly decent indie title that was doing the rounds in the the background before releasing to the public i think it was an important thing for them to do to, to to actually tell developers no look we're serious about this you know these are the kind of games we want on our platform and yeah, I mean, history absolutely speaks for itself because they—I mean, it is everything out all but—and
3: it was a fairly atypical move, not just for console mm. manufacturers and, and for developers, but um, but specifically for Microsoft at that point. They were really stretching their legs and, and seeing, you know, where where is their. You know, footing in the console market. Where, where are they going to shape themselves? as not you know, in the on this platform.
1: And then years later, it was Sony. And then years later, it was Nintendo.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And they shaped each platform. It's it's
1: quite incredible to see the indie scene change you know the industry so much. But anyway, it's not about the indie scene. It's about Braid in particular. But yeah, I I think as you said earlier, Josh, I think it's important to you know whether you love or hate the game. It's 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 important to see it as one of those you know footnotes that that really. Kicked off uh, a
0: sea change of where the industry was heading. Its impact is on on the wider scale of the industry is undeniably positive. Like it's something as simple as you know, Jonathan Blow is now like a bit of a rock star. <laughs> that trend of developers being more uh forward facing, like having Phil Fish kind of be in a documentary. Um, having the developers of um, Super Meat Boy talk openly with the public and be interviewed and stuff, like I'm not saying like obviously developers and stuff were interviewed before Braid came out, but this kind of focus on the developer as a personality for
1: good or bad, right? Be-
0: because... I mean, I, this, yeah, I yeah. can see I can see the negative argument of that as well, but also how much insight have we gotten into the making of games because Jonathan Blow became the personality that he has become.
1: Braid hasn't had any, you know, there's there's not been kind of like this mind share of you know, a change of opinion on Braid. But I do feel that like even at the time, the fact that Jonathan Blow was so uh, forthright with his opinions on both the game, its release, the people playing it, the industry as a whole, I think that there was that attitude around this game which was. Like it's trying to change the industry and it may be doing so, but you can really, you know, I'm taking a stance. I don't like the developer, so I'm not going to play his game or I'm going to be outspoken about aspects of his game, which, you know, previously maybe not have been there before, but equally he, he drove a, a fan base that loved the fact that he was completely outspoken and said stuff that generally you didn't hear from uh, any developer, let alone one that would tell it, the person that has published their game onto the platform and promoted it high heaven that, you know, they don't. He doesn't really like Microsoft and stuff like that. It it was refreshing at the time that the power, the seat the sea change of power was about to to go into these small indie developers' hands. And if anything, it's more muddled than it's ever been right now. That there's so much content. Yeah. It's it's the consoles have become the Steam store all of a sudden because there is so much content that it's about just once again relying on friends and yada 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 but it's that i think for the better anyway but yes i uh, for me uh, the fact that jonathan blow is so outspoken on this game i think it, it does shape
0: people's opinion on aspects of this game whether you want to or not i don't want to do like a deep dive on this because it's not the show for this but i feel like putting a disclaimer here i'm not a huge fan of jonathan blow as a person not for any moral reasons um he just has he he's just grating for me and it's it's undeniable that that is going to have an impact on my opinion mm-hmm. of the game so keep that in mind when I talk about braid um, I just want to have that out there so it's not so it's not like a Thing that people hold
1: over me. A lot of these console games with, you know, not just a single developer, but a single core uh, inspiration person that is, you know, driving the project. You know, we can. There's a number of titles. You know, Fez automatically just comes to mind because of Phil Fish, and it's, you know, you can't take the person out of the game that has been produced because those games are a, not necessarily symbol, but they they are there is an element of them in their games, and if you don't like the person there's a chance actually you may not get on with the games because you know there is a mirror image of of that person in the game once again not necessarily a bad thing you know that's auteurs project projects fantastic you know it it works in films and it can work good in
0: games so we've talked enough about (laughs) the impact braid had on the industry but let's actually talk about braid itself like with Every game that um, we talk about, the, I, I think we should talk about the visuals first because it is the first thing that hits you before any of the mechanics or anything else. Because the game starts up with this uh, burning city backdrop with Tim in silhouette. I just want to get your kind of first impressions based on that intro, but also just um, your feelings on the visual style of the game. Uh, I'm going to start with Brian. The
3: intro of the game kind of sets a, sets a tone that the game doesn't follow through on for me. Um, I, as I reloaded the game up yesterday and, and started just uh, right from scratch, you kind of have the burning city and you're walking along in the shadows and it just kind of, the, the, even, the, even the word braid is in, kind of in flames, you know, as you, as you come across the, the city skyline. And then you come up into this house and then all of a sudden you're, you're basically just in a, in a house with five rooms and and those, and those doors. When you open the first door, the, just a pure contrast from the world to the first door to the first room with the, with the books in it for World 2, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. That, that contrast of the world outside and then the world in there, the, the visual contrast there really, really sets a tone. I, I think that the art style and, and, and the choices that were made with color and contrast and, and the particular, the oil painting kind of look of the game are, uh, are, are pretty brilliant. It's uh, very aesthetically pleasing for me. It's it's colorful in the right ways. And just right off the bat, you hit, hit with that first scene and then moving forward into the first room, it's already kind of defying your expectation of where it was going and, and what it's going to do. And I think that's a very clear choice that, that he made while already putting the player on their heels a little bit, being like, oh, well, this is not this is not what I was expecting from, you know, just from the first start to the first, you know, kind of puzzle room. So it worked for me. It definitely, you know definitely gave me that feeling just pure visually, not like anything else without any mechanics introduced yet. Like, where is this going to go? You know, where, where is he trying to take me here? So it it worked for me.
2: Yeah. I don't really understand why that place is on fire in the beginning, other than it looks cool (laughs) personally for me, like that, that intro level always appealed to me visually. And I kind of wished that kind of vibe flowed through the whole game. But as soon as I started seeing the super seriously looking artwork around, you know, the levels and the bits before the levels where you're reading the books, and it's all like, you know, heavenly and some, and you know, it's all very well painted, like, you know, it's all very well um, artistically drawn, but I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. It really, genuinely, it bored me. Like, and I haven't really been bored by a game in, in years. Like, and but playing it this time round. I, it suddenly clicked why I've never got on with the game before, and partly because the visuals literally bore me. And I, I, you know, I feel bad because the artists obviously put a lot of time into this game uh, visually. Like they all did, obviously, but uh, the the art just stands out so much, and it's just so it is beautiful. But it's not. I just can't really get yeah. into its style at all. And already n- knowing this from the first, uh, you know, my, my actual playthrough of this game, I'm knowing this from opening World Two door, thinking oh, I actually find this game really boring. Like, that didn't really set a good precedent for the rest of the playthrough. Um, yeah. But I'm kind of glad I realised that I didn't like the aesthetic from the off. It kind of, I, I understood where I was at with Braid from pretty much, yeah, from pretty much World 2 door opening. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I do feel bad criticising games like this in this kind of way because it, usually we're all kind of like you know happy jolly people but sometimes when I can clearly see that a lot of work's gone into the game like I, I you know I do feel a bit of a an idiot going yeah, you're rubbish at drawing pictures because I don't like it but it literally is it literally is, <laughs> uh, it literally is. subjective right <laughs> <laughs> that's it yeah and, oh, and in this case like yeah. uh, I literally fell asleep playing this game once and that's never happened to me before <laughs>
0: I'm glad you said all that because for me, I I kind of feel similarly, but I'm going to articulate it in a slightly different way in that I think the art, the art direction is technically incredibly impressive, but is soulless. Like it does nothing for me while I'm able to acknowledge the level of detail. Tim looks great as a sprite. The visuals aren't evoking anything emotionally powerful. They're evoking something. There is symbolism there aplenty, but when I look at a still image of Fez, like immediately I'm drawn in because the use of color um, and the symbolism in within Fez um, appeal, like just taps into something in my soul and just like grabs me. Um, and the same with Limbo, the same with Inside. So many of the games that owe a lot to Braid do that for me, whereas Braid itself does not. Part of that is for me, and I'll get onto this with the actual story and theming stuff. There's not really a cohesive vision of what the art is trying to portray. Like there are all these different disparate ideas the stuff of like the flaming the flaming town is uh, for me i took that as tim's life in ruins because a lot of this game Pretty is much. about Symbolism. uh tim tim uh tim's life being destroyed and you kind of realizing that it's destroyed because of his own toxic personality or trends and it's all di- displayed in these metaphors and visual symbols but there's all this stuff like there's also visual symbolism of the nuclear bomb, which we'll get into. And, and it, these feel like, these are cool ideas in isolation, but they feel disparate. Whereas something like Inside, like it feels like everything explores comes back to the core, core idea that game wants to explore. There's a cohesive vision to Inside that I don't think is here with Braid. Well, I'm going to counteract that with, I think you are 100% right.
1: But also, I also think it's on purpose because, okay, on the face, you you start playing this. You know, the the thing that jumps out beyond the opening screen is, oh, look, elements of Super Mario, right? You can't help it because the elements of Super Mario are in here. You know, some of the level design is set around it. Obviously, he plays with those ideas. But the thing that takes you away from that almost instantaneously is the visual style is nothing like that. Like there's elements of like the hedgehogs could be. The Goombas. Um, is that Yeah, the turtles, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, yeah, yeah, The little kind of nut-looking creatures. But they're not. That- and they're, they're not even particularly well realised in that. And you're like, okay, well, this doesn't quite feel right. Tim as a character, does he does he control well? Not particularly. Does he even animate well? Not particularly. Do I feel like it's on purpose? Actually, yes. I I do feel it's it's Jonathan, because we're on first name terms, of course, (laughs) messing with his audience, like having an expectation of what this platform game is because it looks like something you played in your childhood and then ripping that away from you and saying, this is a like a, a pastel um oil painting like a for adults would play but equally like it, it's not as well designed as the things that we played in our childhood but it's going to have elements of interesting puzzle designs which they could never dream of doing you know back when I was growing up with gaming it's his take and his slightly off kilter I think this is where it comes back to him the person look of what He probably saw platform games growing up, and his vision of what an an adult's take of this world is. I agree with you. I don't necessarily like the look, and it is something that you know it doesn't um, ingratiate me when I sit down to play Braid. It's not like oh god, this game is is just one. I mean, we we recently talked about Hyperlight Drifter, and. You know, there's there's oh, yeah. elements in that game that you, know, you could just stand on the screen and watch the world happen around you and just you know fall in love with a single image. Here, I don't think the game ever comes that, but I also think that there is an element of design that is fundamentally there that he is messing with his audience and that he knows that it has these issues and he's willing to take the audience to that place and then they can decide whether they like it or not. And you know, yeah. I think the general consensus is most people I don't like the look of Braid because I don't think it's a particularly good looking game
3: I agree there in a number of aspects um, but the, where I don't like the, the look of the game isn't with the art style in general I think the I honestly think that the levels are, are, are beautiful they, they resonate with me in a certain way but what I actually find to be that the art, the art that's not appealing to me is the character design. And the mm-hmm. way that Tim yeah. looks and the way that the enemies, well, the enemies, if you can even call them enemies, the other characters on the screen move the way that the, the dinosaur at the end of each level is kind of this weird, you know, sack oh, boy, sock yeah. puppety. I find them like, actually the, the, the word I wrote down was grotesque. Like that's <laughs> the way that they, they appear to me. And that, that's what resonates with me. I, I, the, the, basically the contrast between those two things, it feels like, Almost as if the characters themselves that are kind of moving through this oil painting word, world are, are almost intruders. They, 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 they're the pieces that don't belong. And for me personally, that works for me because that makes me, I guess, willing to engage more um, mm-hmm. and try to find out you know, what, what their purpose is and, and what am I doing here and everything like that. Gameplay aside, just pure artistic.
0: What do we feel about the music scene as we're talking about uh, aesthetics? It it goes
2: hand in hand with the visuals for me. (laughs) Like, it's it's just, I uh, I can't even, I can't even like have it in my head as like a nice thing to like, you know, some game soundtracks you play in your head again because it's catchy because it's fun. This one for me, it's like I've walked into my nan's front room or something and and it's just not for me and I get it and I feel like an absolute moron for even like, saying these kind of things. But like, I don't play games to have this in my face and it's just, or in my ears. Like, I don't want to be reading a a wall of text when I open a world. Like, I said many times on games, uh, on podcasts that we do here, You know, like it's obviously the story is never the forefront for me. I'm always here for the gameplay. And that's when I really like flourish when I I talk about games. But like Braid is putting up so many walls for me to actually get to enjoy this game. And I haven't even really played the game yet. You know what I mean? Like we're reading these books. We're listening to that music that just drones on like in the background and all this kind of watery, coloury visuals in my face. And it's just, it does so many things to put me off playing it. Yeah, the the audio for me is just. I mean, it's a good match with the visuals, but but they 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 are like you know, they are like a partnership, uh, like a perfect partnership. And to me, yeah, no thanks.
0: Yeah, you can you can basically copy and paste what I said about the visuals and apply it to the music. Like <laughs> technically, incredibly impressive, but ultimately soulless. But the, mm. I, I sit here and I, I listen to Darren talk about his experiences,
1: and I can't but help feel that Jonathan Blow here has has kind of hit exactly the tone he was going for the fact mm. that you're hitting and bouncing off it there's a difference between a bad game and a game that you don't like yeah mm. that you know we've played all of us have played bad games where you this is just poor you know mm. it, it barely works you know there's you know, glitching and, and you know broken all you know sorts of broken aspects this isn't a bad game it's an artistic interpretation of something that you don't necessarily glue to and i feel here with the music I'm putting myself back here, you know, playing this game in 2009 on, uh, you know, on a major yeah, platform and it and it was off kilter once again, just slightly odd. And that goes through the, you know, it's pretty much the sound design throughout. There's there's an element of uh, in the gameplay where you can put down a like a capsule that slows down time. And the closer you come to the, this um, capsule, the far, you know, the um, the slower that the the the. the the um, music and the mm. whatever, the 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 FSX uh, stuff happens around you. So it's this kind of like screeching, awful kind of horrible sound as the music kind of comes down to a you know a really kind of almost monotone all the way back up to like this not operatic but you know beautifully kind of sounded score. There's a part of me that hates it because it's just it it's destroying music in front of me. But there's another part of me that you know loves it because once again it's taken. What I think, you know, in the background is a Super Mario clone and just messing with it to the point that it's so awkward. And to me, that's kind of charming. I don't think it's a bad game because I kind of I kind of like the fact that it completely plays with what I'm visually what I think I'm kind of seeing in my mind from years of gaming past. And then what he's doing on the screen and kind of messing with me. And I think that happens in the music. You expect one thing from the visuals you're seeing on the screen and you get delivered something else.
2: I think that's why I feel so guilty about criticizing it, because I understand that, you know, it is a very artistic piece. You know, all games are art, don't get me wrong, but this one, you know, really leans heavily on, you know, it is like you've walked into a museum
1: and it's just... Like the Tate Modern and then just, yeah, I don't get it. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know, I t- I like walking into soft play areas, not museums, to be honest. that That's my vibe. For me, Super Mario is soft play and Braid is a museum. And, you know, one one time out of 10, I will I will enjoy going into a museum. Don't get me wrong. Or oh, more often than not, fling myself around some fluffy cubes.
0: I feel like you're not giving yourself enough yeah, credit, <laughs> Darren. Because, yeah, I like, I think your reasons for disliking braid are sound. Like, you're you're beating yourself up because. Oh, you know, this is trying to be high-minded art. High-minded art can still be obnoxious <laughs> and and something that rubs you up the wrong way. And if it rubs you up the wrong way, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. That's your reaction to that piece of art. We'll I, wait I, we get I to the gameplay be, a bit then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah so i i want to touch on sanders i i think because aesthetics and 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 theming are so closely linked i think i'm gonna move us on to the theming in a bit because i feel like i'm desperate to talk about it based on what tony's just said but briefly before we launch into that um sound design um i do actually uh this is one aesthetic thing that i do actually really like um I think the sound for the enemies, uh, specifically the cries of the bunnies when they die, um, is pretty effective. Um, I like all of that stuff, um, like the rewind sound effect, um, when you're going backwards in time, um, the sound, when you jump on an enemy's head and they, you know, they die and all of that stuff I thought was pretty successful. Any, any thoughts on that?
3: I think the sound design was pretty stellar in certain spots, especially the world for basically time moves forward when you move right. And time moves mm-hmm. backward when you move left, the way the sound design, every time you, you take a step, it sounds like a Jack in the box, turning the crank, you know, and going back and forth. And, and I really think that, that does a lot to add to, you know, the, not, not just the tension of the level, but just, just the little details of when you're hitting those characters and knocking them out in time, with moving left and right, and the amount of work they had to go into to make sure every little piece of that worked together to fill the whole picture is really a big achievement.
2: Honestly, again, I, I did not like the sound design in this yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, every time I jumped on one of the, I don't even know what they're called, but we're going to call them Goomba variants, <laughs> Goomba adjacents, I guess. You know, Every time I jumped on one of them, it did that little squeak. It just annoyed me. Rewinding the, the, the game over and over and over again, just just drilled into my head like... We'll get we we'll talk about that in the gameplay a bit, but every time i re round and it kicked back into the normal music, it just 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 uh, my brain just went i can't I can't do this anymore, and some gameplay sessions for me would literally be ten ten minutes long because everything that happens in front of you visually and audibly just you know just rejected me from the game again and again and again, and I must have put you know so many ten minute sessions into this game in the same night, and right I've had enough. And then I play it and then you do the (laughs) rewinding thing and you're like, okay, we're back to this bit. Oh God, the noises are doing my head in. You die a million times because you reround at the wrong spot and you hear the same death thing over and over and over again. I turned it off. About half an hour later in the day, I'll come back. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it another go. And the same noise is happening again and again. And I just, yeah. And I just turned it off. Like sound design. It's, it's,
1: pfft, it's, no, it's funny for me. because we've all had experiences like that. So, it, you know, each one, every single person listens to the show right now can, can name a game where they've had that experience where it just, you know, audio visually, it doesn't click. And I think what's interesting sometimes with Kane and Rince, you know, we put ourselves down for a, for a show, you know, and, yeah, you know, this would be a prime reason for you, Darren is to, to see it through to the end. It's something that you've always wanted to get through and feel like you should. So you put it there and, you know, I've, we've been there. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's tough. And you can see sometimes when reviewers end up having you know, forcefully playing a game, <laughs> what, how some scores come out as low as they do. If they just have that negative reaction, it's not a, a bad, you know, reaction to have. It's just a reaction to this, this type of game. It, but it is interesting. You know, I, I've brought this up about Castle Crashers earlier. Yeah, you know, I've tried to play Castle Crashers probably a dozen times over the years, and every single time, aesthetically and gameplay wise, I bounce off it, and I and I feel like there's yeah. there's an error of me that I look and go, this, this is kind of like an indie darling, and I can see elements of why people like this, but this it does nothing for me, and I come back to it and yeah. I spend a few more game sessions, and then I've tried the re-release, and literally, it's, and it's the same thing, so equally you you probably love that game and that's i've
2: uh, i've played it again recently and I, I enjoyed it a lot less based on its visuals okay. but, and but, um, but we sticks. all have
1: that i mean that's not the mm-hmm. one game i can think where i've completely I mean, bounced off but mm-hmm. yeah it is interesting to different styles of games it, it, it released right next to each other in in that case
0: mm-hmm. I think we, we are now desperate to start talking about the theming of the game. So I'm just going to read out these two pieces from the forum before we launch into that. Um, a Joy Joy Moto says, In Braid, not only is the narrative out of order a familiar storytelling technique present in numerous movies, TV shows, and books, but the interactive component of the player manipulating time means the player is directly manipulating the narrative, the context of which is directly tied to the order of events. This is a prime example of gameplay and concept intertwined. The player reverses time and directly changes the end, beginning, of the game. Without this gameplay mechanic, we would have a fairly generic damsel in distress tale. It makes one feel as though they themselves are in a sense crafting and or changing the game. Not only did I feel this way in terms of the greater story arc, but also in the individual puzzles, I constantly felt like I was somehow hacking the world and manipulating the level design from its original form. Media narrative of forms other to same the translate quite doesn't and art interactive to applied uniquely is concept this. <laughs> Write that backwards and you'll get what he said. Okay, Josh I Hatsumitsu says. To distill maybe unfairly Braid down to one defining moment, it would be World 1.1, i.e. the level simply named Braid. The assumption of your goal in this level is to save the princess, and this assumption is based on context. The princess is perceived to be threatened by a very burly, dangerous-looking man who's looking to whisk her away against her will. As you heroically make your way from left to right, you will have to rely on the princess to hit certain switches that will assist you and make it possible to progress. After overcoming all the obstacles, rising to meet the challenge as the hero you think you are, you get to what is essentially a dead end. There's no way to save the princess, and the only option that remains to you is simply hit Reverse. And that's where the narrative of the level flips. The true context of this level is not that you are the hero, but a dangerous person that this princess fears. And as you watch the level brilliantly work its way backwards, the switches that she hit initially were never meant to assist you, but to slow you down and to hopefully stop you from getting to her. And by the time we get back to the beginning, that very burly dangerous man that was initially thought of as a threat, is actually the real saviour, a hero that helps the princess escape from the real villain, you, and all you can do is sadly make your way back through the door you first came through, now with a little more clarity about your role in the overall narrative. It is such a well-designed and elegant level, even before replaying it recently it was the first level I thought of, years after my first playthrough. It just left such a strong, unique impression, and I cannot help but marvel how incredibly clever and subversive that level is. Yeah.
2: So when my mate um, Will Kip, he, um, I, I, I mentioned him many times because he's been a big uh, part of my life, you know, since I was sixteen or whatever. He played Braid and absolutely loved it, and he said that the final level is worth playing the game for. So I asked him to explain the final level, and. You know, spoilers didn't ruin the game for me. To be honest, like you know, I wasn't. You know, oh no, no, no. The end of braid. I it actually wanted me, it spurred me on to want to play the game even more, based on how that sounded, and then seeing it in action. Like that level is just a stroke of genius. It really is just such an impressive thing to behold. Like the way it kind of works. You know, forward and backwards, in it and it makes sense. Like absolute
1: gold
0: of a video game level. Elegant game design, you call that. So I'm going to reveal that I hate that last level.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I how did I know that was going?
0: I feel like it's such a silly thing to do. Like, I don't think that's clever. If you play it backwards, suddenly you're the bad guy. Well, that's an incredible, like, yeah, but we know nothing about this guy. We know nothing about this princess. There's no, that it doesn't impact anything outside but- of that world one moment but it does see that and it's just that, I'm,
1: I'm gonna sit here and we shall have this out but because it does at that point that is where the game because i mean this game has been subversive all the way through it's messed with the player all the way through it it's presenting itself as one thing and it's messing with the interpretation of that thing all the way through and you don't really understand why and there's a lot of games that sit themselves out there that say you know i I'm messing with the formula, and it's up to interpretation for the player to, you know, to, to guess what the the developers out. And this is what Braid does all the way up until that final level, where it gives you that glimpse of what you've been playing and who you've been playing at, and how the world at that point then kind of comes round in this full, well, you know, one eighty degree. Oh, yeah, I'm the bad guy. And these are the things that this this you know if you read the text, it's about. Well, it could be about a number of things, but it could either be primarily about the you know the discovery of atomic power, or it could be him just being a really nasty, well, let's just say not particularly pleasant social chap and trying to get the woman. And I think there it it puts a lovely kind of context to everything that comes before and actually playing the game afterwards you can then kind of break that down or if you just leave that game at that point you can your experience isn't just been okay well this is all subject to analysis it it leaves it on a full stop for me to sit there analyze and actually replay the game again for the show i kind of you know i i had remembered it but to see it play through again i think it's a you know i think it's a really interesting piece of design and actually because you don't necessarily know to rewind for a very long time and then you're kind of messing around that mechanic level like, Do oh, how far do i go back and i do this a few times and when it all starts to play out you're like oh but that's once again just me
0: i just for, for me uh, i've used this kind of example before but for me it's just such uh, a level drama level symbolism like it hmm. just feels like such a gimmicky way of getting across the message. And and also it's not it's not as clever as people think it is. I I watched a video kind of analyzing the sprites and their animations it's not exactly the same when you reverse that's it fine. the yeah, princess <laughs> the princess's fa- facial animations are changed the 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 burly guy his facial animation they deliberately make him look angry the first time round and then he's all friendly and inviting the first round round it's not it's not a change of perspective like it's literally a different event it's not it's not the same it's not the same event place <laughs> But it's still, it's still
1: selling its, it's still story, and I, I, I agree. Like we've had long conversations about the misuse of trickery against you know the the, the use the end user, and you know, um, well, there is a few games, but I don't want to upset people <laughs> if I bring them up. But there's games in the past that we've had conversations here. Where I think you know they they treat their audience not with not enough respect, and I, but I don't think Braid is one of those. I Also, think in 2009, you know, once again, put it back into perspective where when it was released.
0: But like I'm going to challenge you on that because two, you know 2008 2009 we're already we've already had Bioshock like we've already had a game that breaks down and subverts game design and player expectations in a way that for me is much more elegant. Like the stuff every conversation can be one by a shot though josh yeah, but like but that's what i mean like i don't I don't think braid is actually it's being given credit for being so bold and original, and I really don't think it deserves that that adulation, like I don't think it's it's doing something new, and I don't think it's the best example, even in its era even within its console generation i use the word best there sorry like <laughs> i it's subjective etc cetera, etc cetera.
3: i do think that's a little unfair saying that it's not it might not be original it might not be the first to ever, ever ever tread along that territory but i do think it is uh, bold and original, at least from a game design perspective, I think discovery. It's an overused term now when I'm talking about game, but player discovery and and and, and th- that sense of discovery at the end of that level, at the end of the one one, where you get to the end and, and you realize that the only way to get back is, is rewinding. Mm-hmm. And the first time I saw it, I, I watched the same video you did when he explained. It. It's not the same exact thing on the way back through there. The even the color of the text that the. The, the uh, you know, regarding the dialogue changes at the end, it goes from red to green, you know, mm-hmm. from dangerous to safe. But I think that that is, can be viewed much well as that maybe this is the first time we're seeing this event take place, not from Tim's perspective. Maybe this is the first time you're seeing it outside of Tim's perspective. You're seeing things from somebody else's mm-hmm. perspective in the game. And yeah. I think the way that it builds you to that point, while is convoluted, has a lot to do with reading those books. And we'll probably go into that a lot. And, and, and kind of the way that the narrative of the game has been set up um, the, one of the first books in, in World Two said that this all happened because Tim made a mistake, and I think what we're seeing right there is the is the the first part of that mistake. We're seeing the mistake yeah. in its in the way it's playing out. For me personally, that worked. The only thing that the problem for me was is that it was uh, very difficult to get to, and um and it and it asked a lot of me to get there. Such and you- in some cases, I wasn't exactly willing to take that step. Is that ending only available with collectible puzzle pieces? Yeah, yeah. I do think it was original, though. I don't, I don't. I, personally, I had played, you know, Bioshock, and I, I don't remember being. I, I feel bad saying tricked because I didn't feel tricked, but um, having you know being being led in that direction only to literally reverse it and to come back the other way. I do think that was a pretty original take. And a well-used storytelling convention.
2: It's a twist yeah. that kind of doesn't revolutionise the story, though. Like some twists are, you know, the classic sixth sense thing. If you if you know what what the twist is, and you watch it again, it's like, wow, this film's totally different now. Whoa, Fight Club, Two, Braid. You're the bad guy now, and then you then you play some more of the game, and you just think, well, right, yeah, okay. No, but Why? I think it
1: gives context to a lot of the imagery and stuff you see in the world. Which I think helps, but
2: not not in an obvious way. Though I, I didn't replay Braid and go, "Oh, that's why I'm the bad guy now." Like it all just <laughs> seemed the same. But you know, like the 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 fact that I'm now bouncing off of these things again, but now I'm the bad guy. It just didn't really.
0: Just ugh. to back up what Darren's saying there, like for me, the game doesn't. There's no cohesive core of what it wants to be about like it's exploring all these different ideas and if if the core of the game was this toxic relationship between Tim and the princess if like every all the symbolism and every all the imagery was around that and fed into that it's all right to have offshoots that explore little ideas on their own but it all has like i feel like it's important that art has a core idea where everything comes back to and for me so much of braid is disparate and Not cohesive. That this moment doesn't land with the impact. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Yeah, I do see that as a.
1: It's not um, populated enough throughout the game um, as elements. Yeah, I was going to
3: say this is this game um, is one of my uh, big examples of where the narrative and the gameplay really do not Mm. mesh together that well Mm. at all. Almost in some cases, you're 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 doing these elaborate puzzles and then and trying to collect these puzzle pieces and do things, and I. And I forget you get finish the world, get back out, and then you get into the next world with the books.
1: From for looking it from a distance, do you not kind of see, see that as him still kind of digging at the Mario series? It's you
2: know how far can you push that button though? Do you know what I mean? You can stretch. That. Yeah,
1: but at the very start, every game you've got to save the princess. We all know how it starts. It's part of the Mario. Great, and at the very end, you know, uh, you know, job done. And it's there's there's never any. Embellishment of story in between that because it's a Mario game it doesn't need it and I think you know this is almost part of that I was saying well and maybe when I say it out loud it doesn't sound as clever as it it may come across as in the game which is but what happened if she was running away from you uh, yeah I kind of when you put it in that context Josh I can see why it's like eh. but I think the game at the very start it, it doesn't have any allusions to anything any, or you know, grandeur allusions to anything else it starts off as an off-kilter mario-esque platformer yeah. and it continues that through to the end and then with this well you didn't catch the princess because she was running around to you for me it just kind of just finished just tightening that little kind of screw top up yep yeah, that's that's the kind of piece i needed at the end to kind of wrap up this whole piece of commentary on a mario game i
0: guess i agree with everything you're saying uh tony i i just think and i i believe that Jonathan Blow made exactly the experience mm-hmm. he wanted to make. I just, just don't like the experience <laughs> cool. that he was trying to make. And um, I, I, fa- I found the work. And this, I'm going off of this moment now. I'm kind of just talking about the theming. Well, uh, of we, before we in come general. off the story, have
1: you seen the the secret okay. ending? The secret, secret ending where he kept all the stars? No, I haven't. I'll be honest. That's the, the, okay, so in, in, in the game world there is stars that you can collect. Um, it's like kind of Mario. Yes. <laughs> Interestingly you can collect them outside of the main game world so in like in the puzzle pieces they're there and then you can manipulate the puzzle pieces and collect them within inside the puzzle pieces which is kind of a kind of weird third, you know world breaking moment but that's kind of cool. But at the very very end if you collect all the stars you get an addendum to the end of that final secret ending which is you get to the end you actually get to the princess, and um, there's basically a massive, great big bang and white flash on the screen, and the, the princess disappears. Could actually become go into the the whole theory about he finally finds the atomic bomb, and the, the princess is the atomic bomb yeah, equation, which Jonathan Blow seems to be way over the place of whether that's true or not. But there is a different end in there where essentially the princess disappears or dies because he actually does get to her. If you if you're yeah. willing to put the extra, I mean. Talk about extra steps. There's one star that I don't think populates into the world unless you're moving around in one of the same worlds for two and a half hours, and then it, yeah. y- you can collect yeah. it. There's a cloud <laughs> yes. that goes from right to left.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the atomic bomb. So there's, there's references to the atomic bomb um, throughout the game. Uh, most famously, the quote from Kenneth Bainbridge, now we are all sons of bitches, But this kind of feeds into what I was about to say was um, I feel like the game as a whole is very heavy-handed in its symbolism and in its imagery. Um, Like having quotes like that just outright really bothers me. Um, And having so much of the, the story being portrayed in this kind of novelistic way, like a book, all of that stuff, it's like... And this, this may be, this may even be the case. And like, uh, if this works for you, uh, then fine. But it doesn't work for me. It feels like um, Jonathan Blow just genuinely hates video games. <laughs> like um, the way, the way he is drawing from other sources, it's almost like he's saying, "Look at how much better these these mediums are." Video games have their shortcomings. I think storytelling has been a weakness in video games for a long time. We're getting there, but it's, it is an area of improvement. And I love when games um, challenge and subvert the expectations of video games and criticize aspects of video games. But I'm not here for, for, for an artist who just seems to have disdain for the medium as a whole that's and like i'm putting i'm putting words in jonathan blow's mouth i'm sure he loves the medium but that's what it comes across as to me yes and once again that of bleeds into
1: jonathan blow as a person uh there, there's a bunch of quotes out there from jonathan blow and you know i've been looking at a few on the internet just to kind of prep for the show and he's so subjective and subversive about his own work it's and it's hard to kind of pin down what he wants the player to take from it. I mean, he's out there saying that nothing in this game is there by accident. And that includes all the story pieces. But that's all of them, right? So feel like when someone takes one of them and decides to say, this is what the game is all about, they're sort of neglecting a lot of the other ones, which I would not recommend. There is no one meaning. Or is there? You know, he's that kind of character, the old person that just... <laughs> he wants his work to speak for itself. Yeah, I agree with you. There's not always enough in there, symbolism-wise, to actually let his work speak for himself. Yeah, and he doesn't want anyone to kind of imprint their own opinions on it because they might not be the ones that he wants. But he, oh. and it's, he's a weird, he's a weird character.
0: It, it's it's weird because I feel like you say there's not enough in there for the work. To, I feel like Braid veers violently from being. Like beating you over the head with a baseball bat named subtext to just being so vague and obtuse as to having to look up a Wikipedia entry to figure out what was going on. Like it veers violently from both heavy handed to obtuse. And I just think about inside, I know that this is not the inside podcast, but like I think about inside and how it just gave you 70% of the information you needed. And the other 30% was your imagination. And that's perfect for me. Like that level of detail um, and that tr- level of trust in your audience is where that's what I'm here for. And Bray just kind of goes from like, I'm going to give you nothing. So I'm going to literally hammer you over the head with what I'm trying to say here. And I just, I'm not here for that.
3: I would think that that's a big part of what, he would want, you know, thinking of the quotes that you've yeah. from John the Blow about the game. I'm sure that this conversation would would probably please him, whether for whatever reason you <laughs> he would think that is. Um, yeah. He uh, uh, he says that everything was put there for a reason. He made statements saying that there was uh, still secrets to be uncovered in the game to that that spawned people to literally tear apart the code of the game and find that there wasn't anything more in the game. Being obtuse is is part of what he was going for, mm. um, and. And whether and trying to assign meaning—that's we're all going to do that when playing games, right? Mm-hmm. We're just going to, you know, we're going to play it from from our own lens. If if I was going through a particularly bad relationship at the time I played *Braid*, it might speak to me from one level, as opposed to somebody else who was maybe contemplating the state of the world when they played *Braid* and so on and so forth. And I, I think that that is both a testament to kind of the, the game's design but also a a failure to convey the exact message or if there even was a message he was trying to convey throughout the game it's um the intentional intentional obscurity that it seems to have and then at some points like you said Josh where it just is like four paragraphs in a row of everything's going on going on and then you're thrust into the puzzle um, i think that dichotomy there really really can throw a lot of people off and myself and in in many cases with the game
2: i wonder what the decision was to have the books display the story in such a you know heavy-handed way like you read some of the books and you just think okay i don't really know what's going on and then you read some other books and it is just like you're just there for like minutes or for me it felt even longer but you're just there to read and you're reading and you're reading you just think there must have been a better way to convey what's going on here and uh you know it just didn't speak to me at all you know i to the point where i didn't even realize what was going on until the end and it's quite a relief to hear that that's probably by design but i I couldn't even tell you other than the final level what what was going on at all like from from world two to world one you know what is going on why am i sat here just in these rooms that they're just doing my head in like why am i in here reading these books like video games are, are better than you know they've they can do story uh, more preferentially for me in different ways and reading a wall of text is not fun
1: <laughs> when it comes to game development there's there's lots of ways to tell a story elegantly and um, i think through visual so- storytelling obviously it's a visual medium but visual storytelling you know in backgrounds etc to me always works better than just you know here's a wall of text sit down and read it and you know and i've been guilty of absolutely defending games to the high heaven, saying, well, if you, if you know about the lore you know, and, and the background and, and read you know, off-site from, from games and, and know about this character, then they're, they're so much more powerful. The game apparently cost £200,000 to make, and you know, yeah. it was basically him and a few others working on it for three years. I do get those complaints, and I do think there's other people that have equally done that and have made better games than Braid under those same, same constraints. But I think if you look it from it is an indie game if if I look at that and say well what did he achieve does he achieve necessarily with the story it's hit and miss but you know has he achieved with the gameplay you know was that two hundred thousand dollars better spent there yeah it's it's a hard one to make and I just but I think you have to take that into consideration of what this game is uh, and where it's come from and the author that has has made it and I think all that stuff plays into what we're seeing here and I think Jonathan Blow loves a really good quote And it doesn't surprise me that in his game, you know, there's elements of Jonathan Blowism in there, (laughs) if that makes sense.
2: I think it's kind of easy for me to forget that it is, you know, a very small team working on quite a lot of in-depth concepts, either aesthetically or, you know, gameplay-wise. There is, you know, there's there's a lot going on in this game, really. Uh, Just none of it really appeals to me. And And the reason I forget that this game is... You know, it would probably be what it's a small budget compared to other ones you know what i mean like 200 grand for a game is nothing really and the fact that they managed to do that was i bet that's a miracle and a lot of blood sweat and tears went into making this game and you know they can't nail every single aspect on their heads you know and i, I guess the the books and the wall of texts were probably one of the concessions they had to make and that was the best way they could fit the story in with that budget and time and you know the way the games industry is constantly on fire when you actually get behind the scenes and see how they're made it's just yeah okay <laughs> it's everything's true. on fire and and you know the the quote that is um you know games are lucky they're even out at all is you know is is a true one so you know and i I appreciate it again it's just not for me and i remember reading these wall of text. i think i went cross-eyed at one point i just couldn't handle it i just went oh god my brain has just gone numb bored which is um yeah, a rare feeling for me in a video game. There's another series that has a really convoluted story that I don't get, but the actual walls of text are pretty good and that's Resident Evil. I find like picking up those notes and stuff are really like well done. But then that's Capcom and it's like millions of dollars, you know, it's kind of a different <laughs> thing. And you you like you say you do kind of have to balance them. You know, you, you do have to weigh it up. If you know? have
0: million dollars, you do audio diaries. Right. Let's uh move on to gameplay. Um, let's start us off with this post from the forum. Um, This is Dusk versus tweak. He says, I don't have too much to say about Braid as I was less affected by the game as other players were. Maybe I came to it a bit late. Maybe I shouldn't have played Limbo first. The big element that kept me from getting on with Braid was the puzzles. Maybe this is an omission of my own uh, mental shortcomings, but I just couldn't get through the second half of the game without constant walkthroughs. I remember thinking, Limbo's puzzles made me feel smart. Braid's puzzles made me feel dumb. So with a story I couldn't quite understand and puzzles I couldn't seem to figure out, Braid was a frustrating game for me until the very end. I didn't write that. Just to
2: clarify, <laughs> but I'm not dust versus tweak, but what he says definitely resonates in my head. Uh, yeah, I, I felt absolutely stupid playing um, braid at points, and puzzle games for me. I, I love puzzle games. I think like, you know, a really good one can really like empower you and make you feel like you're an absolute genius when you know. Really, it's just a very well crafted um you know thing to do, and you know you worked it out like the Talos principle. It's got all these kind of religious you know, themes and like absolutely <laughs> crazy like uh, scenarios and stuff. And it's just, you know, playing on, you know, the, the usual robot becoming human or AI and all that. But every time I, f- I solved a puzzle in the Talos principle, again, it's a first person game made by a bigger team. So it's a completely different thing really. But when I solved a puzzle in that and portal and stuff, I felt really clever. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did it. And then Brave was like, these, like, they're so, the mechanics in Braid are so You know, so few, but they do an absolute definite thing in those levels. I just couldn't work it out, man. Like, and part of me didn't want to work it out because, again, I was bored. But ultimately, I had to, in the second half of the game, I had to use a walkthrough because they just made me feel like an idiot.
3: I actually agree. I I have a positive outlook on Braid uh, as a total product. But um, the puzzles for me really kind of started to get more and more to the point where I was bashing my head up against the wall, uh, not just against something I didn't understand, but something that just seemed unsolvable with, without, without some sort of direction. And, and that's what I think one of the failings that Braid has is that there's something to be said for a game that doesn't give you a lot of direction, that lets you go and explore and figure it out on your own. And I feel that the first levels of each of the worlds are very good at this. Most of them are just the pit. And you'll fall into the pit and you'll rewind mm-hmm. and you'll see a new mechanic that somehow he is going to find like, hey That's cool. He kind of shows it to you. But then there are, are, are some where it takes that new mechanic, that new uh, concept is introduced and where it goes immediately into the next room. I feel it's not, it, it doesn't give the player a lot of time to get used to that new mechanic and how, what are the different ways this could be um, this could, this could be applied in, in, in these different worlds. And I found myself later on in the game, both then and now, Uh, really bashing my head against the wall with some of these things. And it's really hard to feel motivated to complete them when you can just see the door to the end of the level right over there. Half of the levels, you can just walk right through without accomplishing any of the puzzle pieces and go to the next room. Now, I'm not sure why you do that and you could just not play the game. But there also is that there's that pull there to if you are just going and going and going and not making any progress Mm -hmm. to where, like, well, you know, I'm just going to leave this, and I, I think it's partly by design, but also it's uh, sometimes that pull to the door was definitely more than you would want. I, I want a puzzle game where it's, well, I can't quite figure it out, but I'm, I'm really, you know, really want to. You know, it's really driving me, and it's rewarding me in little ways. When in this game, it, it, it does feel um, like it, like it, it's pretty punishing, and also just the rewinding time mechanic means that if you do make one mistake in how you're getting everything going it can be several minutes to reset the scenario that you need in order to accomplish the task. And and that can become a very frustrating, uh, what feels like a waste of time.
1: One of the things I, it's my pet hates of puzzle games, is if you do something wrong in the environment, the game doesn't let you know that continuing on is pretty much a fruitless task you might as well reset the level and um braid does that a number of times where there may be three or four steps to any given uh, puzzle uh, and you, you know you'll perfect one and then bang your head against the wall for the next you know 10 minutes trying to well this isn't working go leave you leave the room come back into the room see the puzzle reset do the thing that you want to do first time and then suddenly there's um maybe a platform that hadn't moved across or you know there's a Goomba for a better term, not, you know, in a, in a place that wasn't before and you could then suddenly use it to jump up. And, you know, I, th- I think a lot of the times there is that you need to work out a single solution, which I think a lot of the times the initial this is what the puzzle is. And even going into the first room, you could do the first thing relatively simple and then it would get complex. Um, I found absolutely the best thing to do was just reset the puzzle, go with the first instinct, then look at the thing again once you've got that mechanic down. Interestingly, the game isn't actually that long. You can make it long, absolutely, and most people will take you know a number of hours to get through it. Um, equally, if you know all the puzzles, and even to get all the puzzle pieces, you can complete this game in probably like an hour and 20 minutes. But that's any speed run of any kind of game. Um, but for me, I also it doesn't help that the puzzles don't last. You know, like elements of puzzles don't last. So you have the, the moving time forward, you have the rewinding time, you have the... Keys only work in certain doors, and every time you master that that particular set of um, scenarios, it moves on to the next thing. And so he's it, almost like, well, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to get bored of just me working. Like it, he has his puzzle designs; he's made four of those puzzles, and that's it. And he'll move on to a, a next set until you know he's used up all his ideas of those puzzles. It never stays around long enough for you to, you know, I think organically grow with any particular confidence with each puzzle if that makes sense
0: i I think it's worth just kind of running through because each world has a unique mechanic and i think it's worth just kind of running through um, what those unique mechanics are um, and then um, maybe talking about um, our favorites or least favorites um, uh, so Uh, first of all we've got time and forgiveness which just introduces the standard rewind mechanic very similar to sands of time except without a hard limit like that game Um, time and mystery um, so there introduces green objects that are unaffected by time travel Uh, time and place which introduces um, time uh, moving when you move so think super hot are a bit more complicated than that If you move right time progresses if you move left time regresses time and decision a shadow of the players uh, of the player's previous timeline will appear so you can use your previous timeline to move objects around um, uh, so you can reach them from different uh, locations Um, and then hesitance um, which introduces a ring that warps the flow of time around it Um, are, do, do any of those kind of stand out as as favorites for you? Are there any uh, any kind of um, applications that you thought were clever or applications that you found frustrating?
3: I personally really liked uh, the time and place uh, where the time moves when you move. Um, it's one of the first instances I can remember uh, seeing that in a game. I know there have been a couple instances in the past where, where, where different levels or circumstances in other games where time would be affected by movement or movement speed. But this is the first one where I really felt like it. Um, just the way that I already kind of spoke about the music moves along with it and the way the characters move and that sense of discovery as you're going through the world and, and seeing what's affected by it and what's not and and how you come up with these solutions to get around the, the different obstacles. Um, there's one, I believe it's the the second or third level in, in, in time and place in level four where you're hitting switches in order to basically gate off enemies because to to give them different walls and to get different basically boundaries. So where you move, right, you get them to move a little bit further. You hit the switch, you come back. And, and I just remember really, that was one of the the puzzles I I remember really feeling like I was, like I was learning and I was getting a better understanding. Okay. This is, this is how this mechanic works. Um, as opposed to the opposite for me would be, uh, time and decision the shadow of the, players previous timeline that and i'm not sure if it just might be how my dumb brain works but i could not wrap my head around what switches you could hit with your shadow what you couldn't what enemies you could and i that one that, that gave me frustration to no one especially playing through it a second time where i felt like my patience was much lower because i had already completed the task in the past so um those those stood out as both highlights and lowlights for me
1: yeah for time and place for me where the world moves with you um there's one particular level where it looks uh, the easy way to describe it would be like a original donkey kong level where the barrels are rolling down the uh, still girder frame and you have to work your way up the top of this level and it's a challenge just to do that and not get killed and not um the trick is you you have to hit the goomba style enemies but you have to hit them by going right otherwise they don't die so if they're going left then um they respawn or they kind of you know, just come back into assistance when you kind of move back around again. Um, So you realize you have to work your way to the very top of the level and then can be quite tricky to actually hit certain ones in certain place. Um, And it takes a lot of micromanagement of understanding how how your movements have affected the world and what you probably actually need to hit a Goomba in a certain way to make sure he kind of dies, but then comes back onto the platform again. And I think, you know, there's some really clever game design there. Um, equally i like the hesitance one where time slows um from a gameplay wise it's quite annoying because it really slows everything down when you're in the ring but it's um uh, say there's a an area where there's missiles being fired at you from a distance and you know the gap isn't big enough for you to to get from a to b and up a ladder in between the missiles hitting you so drop down this uh, slow down time Allows you to have those warps and those gaps in between the world for you know, and so you can play around with puzzles to actually change the outcome of those puzzles. Uh, equally, that works well with um, elevators or sliding area puzzles where you can get access that you wouldn't before by jumping on certain things and leaving them there. So at that point, it, the game is incredibly hard. I think most people hit a real, um, I think time and place and time decision. So it's like area four and five. I think at the the moment, a lot of people bounce off this game and can't go any further because they are quite complex (laughs) sets of ideas Um, and yeah I mean I've been fairly positive I think throughout the game and um, I do like the puzzles and I do like this as a puzzle game but I do think it's it is too hard Um, and I don't think they're elegantly designed later stages of puzzles Uh, and it does affect the overall flow of the game because I know a lot of people probably just bounce off and then don't actually get the puzzle pieces but then again, I, I can't help but wonder whether that's just Jonathan Blow being fairly happy with the fact that he's made a, a hard puzzle game and it's if you don't collect all the puzzle pieces, you can get to the end, but you're not going to get any kind of satisfactory ending. That doesn't necessarily make him right. So
2: most of the mechanics across the world are so kind of experienced in other games and enjoyed them more. So, you know, m- maybe pre and post Braid's release, so stands the time. I enjoyed that more in that game. And you know, super hot kind of and there's um slowing down time is probably I can't remember what game it's from, but you know when you put the ring down and you slow down time. I'm sure I've played that in another game like Quantum, Red, Quantum Conundrum, that kind of <laughs> portal like, and mm-hmm. so you know I'll, all these mechanics are in this game, and they're um. I'm just thinking, well, I've played that here, Blinks but time's it there. There. Well, see, yeah, it's a time in there. well, see, classic, and uh, but all these games are kind of uh, i'm I'm constantly thinking to myself, I've enjoyed this puzzle game more, and every time I've entered a new world, and like um, Mr. Brian said. doesn't really give you a good ramp up in difficulty again that could be subverting nintendo's you know very polished difficulty curve maybe you know i don't know how many times you can press that button and defend braid by saying yeah but it's trying to be the anti this and anti that Mm -hmm. i think i think the difficulty in this game is just ridiculous like you do the pit and then you go okay that's cool like you know that this is the training level and then you get you open the door and you you go to the next level it's like this is not the second bit, right? This is like number five, surely, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, in my opinion, I feel like they should have had a more lenient difficulty curve, but because there's so few levels to do it in, like maybe they should have had a few more levels in there, you know, to to increase the difficulty slowly rather mm-hmm. than just spiking up and down. Like like their next game, The Witness, is just full of these like line puzzles, but I feel like that game 100% improves on their difficulty curve. That
1: game's 30 to 50 hours long. <laughs> So, yeah, no, yeah. so it's the, almost at the, the, the opposite end of the scale it's
2: yeah and it, it's an unfair comparison but it is one that you know I've made sorry maybe but no, you know, I, I, I feel like they've absolutely learned their lesson from Braid and that like more is sometimes more in this case and you know to ch- chop maybe again budget constraints maybe they had to chop some levels out and A I found this game really difficult and B I kind of played the mechanics better elsewhere sorry mm-hmm.
1: I my initial playthrough of this game back in two thousand and nine was a lot more positive than my subsequent playthrough in twenty eighteen, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with um, puzzle design and elements of these puzzles that have absolutely uh, matured uh, over those you know, nine to ten years. Um, other games have have done it better, quite simply. And I think there if there is failings in the design of this game, which are clear to see, um, whether I couldn't see them in two thousand and nine because there was not so many games in the market that that had those ideas and this was presented it and actually felt fresh. I remember, you know, the, the Remind mechanic and, and kind of having a kind of gleeful smile on my face that it was trying to do something different. And I'm not going to say I, I breezed through it, but I, I sat down there for a day There, you know, probably not many walkthroughs or anything <laughs> at that point and completed it in the day. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a part, puzzle master by any stretch the imagination but i did actually find going back to it in in 2018 that yeah i didn't have the tolerance to hit a puzzle and then not look up a guide (laughs) because maybe it's just 2018 and it's so much easier to do that now but there was certain elements i was like i and actually this speaks to many games of replaying when you think you know a puzzle and you've played that game before and you're sure that's how the puzzle works and it's completely wrong and i found myself doing that a few times so Josh,
0: how do you like the puzzles? I'm really up and down on the puzzles. Sometimes they do work for me. I do like the um, the shadow of the previous timeline, um, so time and decision. I like that mechanic um, just because you're kind of sacrificing yourself to achieve your goal, and that's kind of one instance where the theming of the game and then the gameplay kind of work really well in tandem with each other because like a lot of the game is about him kind of destroying his own life to achieve what he wants so having you literally destroy yourself in order to achieve what you need to Mm -hmm. do in that level is compelling and, and, and I found that imagery really good but some of the puzzles are just they just go above and beyond what I think is reasonable based on the expectations the the game puts forward like I never feel like in portal or limbo or inside or I could name so many puzzle games I never f- I never feel like I don't have all the information like in portal I can get stuck but I feel like I have all the t- like all the tools to do what I need to do are in front of me um, there's clearly kind of visual hints and there's plenty of room for me to just kind of play about and see what works and eventually i figure it out and i feel like that those games are really well designed because they communicate they communicate information both aesthetically and just through the design of the level really really effectively and even when you're stumped you're never frustrated um i just don't think the game braid can not all the time sometimes it does that's so that's not fair on my part but there are key moments where i feel like the aesthetics just break down and they don't work in the player's favor and they just you they don't communicate effectively what you need to do in order to complete this puzzle and I have to admit, towards the latter half of the game, I did need to go to a walkthrough in order to solve these puzzles because otherwise it was just going to be banging my head against the table until I got it right. Um, I just, I didn't, I just didn't enjoy the process of figuring it out. And you can come, you can perfectly, you know, you can counter me and say, yeah, I. I did figure it out by myself, and I and you know, and there is the information there. All right, fair enough. But I just was not having fun. Like it went beyond the point where I was actually enjoying the experience. Um, and if I'm not enjoying the actual process of solving the puzzle, then I feel like the puzzle has failed.
3: I would agree with that completely, and especially looking at it ten years forward, I feel like myself ten years ago was more willing. To, you know, search, I got to do it myself. I've got to, you know, I've, I've got to beat it without help. I've got to explore. this. has got to be a solution here. And then, and then now just with the evolution of these mechanics, um, as Tony was talking about, as we've seen them further along down the line now looking at it 10 years past is I, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't have the patience now <laughs> yeah. to, to suffer through the end of that game. And that's maybe it's a sign of me being 10 years older and and me just budgeting my time a little bit better, and being less willing to play things that I'm not actively enjoying just for the sake of finishing them. But for sure, it it doesn't it doesn't do a, a good job towards the end or a good enough job to keep you going with without some some form of assistance there. I could see getting towards the end of the game, but also but not finding all the puzzle pieces, not getting that final, the real ending, the, the, the level named Braid. I could definitely see myself now bouncing off had I not already done this before.
2: Most of the game for me was rewinding time, you know, as it is for everyone. But one thing that stuck in my head every time I rewind time, and I, and I re re-round it to not the exact spot the game wanted me to rewind, you know, I I just felt punished for it, and it was like, oh, I've got to rewind again, but I do a different spot. Oh no, but it's a different mechanic, so different things happen, and it just felt like trial and error at some points to me. Like, I thought the idea of rewinding time in this game was kind of more of a benefit to the player, and you know, I I really appreciate the fact that they've gone to different lengths to make the rewind mechanic different. You know, but for me, I guess I saw it as like a fix button. You know, I can fix myself by rewinding. No, it's you know, not. I've messed up. No. Rewind time. Yeah. And it just it just reminded me of when you um when you play games on emulation and you use the save state key and you're just constantly reloading the save state over and over and over again because you haven't made the jump correctly, and it, it, the same monotonous kind of ah uh, like disconnect with the game uh, set in with me at that point because so I was just rewinding dying rewinding dying rewinding a bit more I've gone too far now so I need to do the puzzle again go out the door come back in again.
1: But that that does speak to me of mechanics that have changed throughout the years. Now it's a, you're a massive fan of Super Meat Boy, um, you yeah, know, and talk about that instantaneous. No, I've done it wrong. Repeat. Like, and there's countless games that have used the rewind mechanic to that benefit, or not in rewind. At that point, it's like level select, but you know, straight yeah, away. Instant restart, but, yeah, instant you know, and using. Yeah, you know, I'm you know, a big fan of you know the Forza series and stuff like that. You know, I use rewind to get me out of the situation. Like, as a punishment to the player, like absolutely, we're a modern day set of gamers where it's like, well, repeat, I, I did that wrong, let's just have that free pass. But the problem with, with Braid is its rewind mechanic isn't just there to say, here's the fix it, go back to the start of the puzzle. It's to say, well, bring something into play that wasn't necessarily there, move that item that was you know, a foot over there that now needs to be in amongst here so you can use it to jump off that to get up there. Once you know that the rewind mechanic isn't a fix-all, in fact, it's to complete the level and you have to use it cautiously, otherwise it will completely change the way the level is set up, then I think the game becomes, you know, I think you understand the the way the game is set up. So it's not a fix-all button. It's a mess-with-the-world button. And like any mess-with-the-world button in any games, if you mess with the world, the consequences can be actually you're better off restarting the puzzle until you understand the consequences of you messing with the world. I'm not sure what the commentary against that is against Mario, which is, I don't know, die and restart, but, you know, <laughs> it feels like there's a commentary there somewhere about that game.
2: On paper, that rewind mechanic is, you know, it, it looks brilliant. And then <laughs> the more I played with it, the more just I found it really unsatisfying. And then, like I said earlier, the audio that goes with it, and, and it, yeah, oh, it really just didn't do it. May, anything for that may me. be
1: it. The mechanics are just almost too powerful in their game design. They, they're just, they have a, a use. And if you don't abide to that use, then it will make you hit a brick wall. Um, and you have to subscribe to it's, it's perfect set of, um, instructions as the player, like, don't mess with my game. This is how you do it. This is a resume. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's tricky as a, as a player actually in 2018, having game design like that, where it's, it's treats the players like, you must do it this way. This is the one way I've decided this must work is actually quite like it's, it's interesting. I and mean, we've had this because we play a lot of older games and to see how the evolution of the industry has happened and the way they treat game, you know, gamers with save states and stuff, yada, yada, y- y-. Braid doesn't feel like it's far enough back yet to to have those concerns about that. But actually, you know, nine, 10 years is a relatively long period of time. I'm not trying to give it a free pass. I'm just trying to, I suppose, analyticalize my own internal thoughts about, the things, the problems with the mechanics of that game, and, and give it maybe a bit more context than just, yeah, it's bad game design.
2: And, you know, and also it presents itself as a platformer, but the, like we said right at the start of the show, no, yeah. it's not even it's not <laughs> even a good platformer. And like, I was here for the platforming, and again, I shouldn't, uh, I'm not playing the Witness because it's first person. Uh, like, I shouldn't be playing Braid for the jumping and the platforming. Like, that should not be the case. But when it when it reminds you of Mario so many times. It's like, oh, here's the flagpole, Princess in another castle, and here's the Goomba, and here's a is a really sterile looking piranha plant, and here's all these things <laughs> that you like in Mario. I just think, well, I'll just go and play Mario. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, Tim, get lost. Sorry, that that was really aggressive. No, but you know, like it even Tim, like as a as a as a vessel for the world, well, like I'm going back to aesthetics here now, but he doesn't, he doesn't interest me. He doesn't play well. He doesn't look, he doesn't look fun. He doesn't, and that's the point. He's, he's a bloke and he's just a man in a world dealing with his but then,
1: stuff. But then the castle is made out of the periodic table and it's got one element that is too heavy for the work for the periodic table. So it's almost like that symbolizes Tim. It doesn't fit within this world. <laughs> just saying.
3: <laughs> I do think it's interesting what you said, Tony, about how the, the player power, the power of a winning time might be too powerful. Um, I hadn't thought about it from that concept before, but, but it's true because you, you really giving you that complete rewind everything instantaneous at once can give you both the power to, to reset your level, to, to do it the right way, but also the power to just kind of destroy everything you've said before yourself. So that's kind of an interesting way to look at that mechanic that I hadn't thought hadn't considered before. But um, yeah, you can really that, that mechanic is to, to rewind not just yourself, but everything everything all at once. Touch of a button really does give the player a lot of power.
0: I think it's time that we hear uh, more from our forum. So um, I'm going to start us off with uh, Simon Sloth, who says, "I'm sure others will articulate their thoughts on this game much better than I. But I do think how you view Braid depends on when you played it. Games like Braid and Fez rode the crest of the indie wave to the console market." I loved the interwoven narrative and puzzle elements with new mechanics introduced gradually as the challenge ramped up. I genuinely felt the game's twist was quite shocking and was the perfect announcement of what ordinarily would have been just another time-bending puzzle game. However, playing it more recently I couldn't bring myself to play Beyond Halfway. All my positive feelings towards the game had gone and unfortunately now I've played Limbo Inside and The Witness, I couldn't help but make unfair comparisons. In terms of impact and being an important part of gaming history, there is no doubt in my mind. Whether it's a good game or not is more a more interesting question because right now I don't think that it is. Joshua I. Hatsumitsu says... What I appreciate most about Braid is that it doesn't resent being a video game. On the subject of video games as art, there seems to be a conscious effort to move away from being a video game and more towards traditional narrative type media, usually embracing cinema and film. Cough, David, I've worked with Ellen Page, Cage, Cough. And the problem is, no matter how well produced a cinematic sequence in a game is, it ultimately will be going up against well over a century of film, and it's going to come up short every time. And the reverse is true too. Film cannot possibly compete with the interactive strengths that only gaming provides. There is a saying, art without craftsmanship is just presentation, famously quoted by No Idea Who. And regardless of how people feel about Jonathan Blow as a person, I get the feeling he isn't loved by everyone, he is a very talented craftsman. It is entirely possible to tune out the subtext of Braid and and enjoy it purely as a puzzle platformer. The mechanics are so polished and so tight, and I would easily recommend this game just on that fact alone. Clearly a lot of hard work and care went into every part of this game. Donk says, I got Braid when it originally came out on Xbox Live Arcade and played 2-3 to three hours before rage quitting it. I'd occasionally give it a go but never made any real progress. Fast forward several years and I'm looking through my Steam library to find a game for my 4 year old to play. He was still learning to use a controller and would lose his mind at the slightest challenge in games. I remembered Braid had a time rewind mechanic I thought might be useful while learning the basics of a controller. And it was. He loved it. Eventually, we came to more difficult puzzles, and I was telling my son we couldn't go any further, but then he asked me why I didn't just jump over there, I think it was a platform within the puzzle image, and then to the door, and of course it worked. My brain, conditioned by decades of video games, was unable to see it, but my 4 year old's brain saw it immediately. Finally, progress, and we marched on together. He'd start sessions playing himself but soon handed me the controller for the difficult jumps and 2 or 3 more times during our playthrough he'd have a solution before I could figure it out. I'm amazed Jonathan Bloke had come up with these puzzles because they were truly mind breaking. Amazing game and design. Scrustle says, I first played Braid way back when it was released on the Xbox 360 and it was a revelation to me at the time. I was immediately captivated by its aesthetic stylings with its dreamy lush visuals and enchanting soundtrack. It created a mood that I had never got from a game before that sucked me in and immersed me in this strange painted world which really captured that feeling of the flow of time being not quite what it seemed, which mirrored the gameplay so well. The actual mechanics of the time manipulation blew me away too. They were pure genius, simple to understand in theory, but were used in such creative and imaginative ways that got me thinking about how to solve problems in ways that I never thought about before. The game explores these possibilities so well coming up with so many different ways to apply whatever twist it's currently putting on the time travel mechanics. Even when it repeats puzzles, it always feels fresh by making you approach it in a drastically different way each time. It opened my eyes to the possibilities of what games are and what they could do, as well as starting my relationship with indie games. It became a massive influence over my future taste in games, even though it has been a very long time since I last played the game properly, it's still the gold standard I compare other similar games to. The way it created a mood so effectively with its gorgeous artwork and how it used its mechanics to present puzzles that weren't just extremely well designed but got you to think about problems in a completely new way. I expect Jonathan Blow himself might not be that impressed with my take on his game but I'm still thankful that he gave us something so brilliant and influential. The reviewist says, Braid is an essential distillation of the medium of video games, which probably sounds like ridiculously high praise, but there it is. I bought Braid within a week of release, having had it recommended to me by a games journalist friend who reviewed it and loved it. They were right, I was blown away. The opening of Braid... With that rumbling but stark music and Tim standing on the bridge over the eerie yet beautiful watercolour sunset set the mood for me immediately. I was entranced. Then as the game unfolded to me, in snippets of text and the paintings that the puzzle pieces revealed, I thought I understood it a story of a failed romance musing on people's inner natures and unwillingness to change and grow, told through a clever series of time-altering game mechanics, each world expanding on the last in both scope and complexity. Not to mention the wonderfully curated musical choices, beautiful artwork, and middle-class office worker Mario aesthetic. What a great Wii game, I thought. Then I reached the attic and found World 1, its omission being something I had noticed with curiosity at the start of the game and had frankly forgotten in all the time it took me to get through the other five worlds. That final world turned everything on its head and then obviously came the amazing eleventh hour reversal which left my jaw hanging open, then onwards through the final snippets of text and invisible secret text, adding layers of meaning and interpretation. I was astounded Games don't do this. Even to this day, a decade on, I struggle to think of a game with as many interpretations and intricacies of story, the variant versions of the romance, the hints at who or what the princess may be, and my personal favourite being the hidden motifs of mushroom clouds, blinding flashes when a star is collected, and references to Bainbridge and Oppenheimer and the almost burning cityscapes which hint at it all being an allegory for the Manhattan Project. Is it a perfect game though? Nothing ever is. A couple of puzzles are infuriatingly finicky, although arguably never unfair. And the subtext derived through multi-layered narrative may come across to some as a deliberate attempt to enact some serious arty wank and hide it in a video game. For some, it will simply always be too obscure. But I think it's important to remember that when Braid was released, the world of arty indie games, particularly those released digitally on console, was still somewhat in its infancy. While at the time, Dear Esther was already doing the rounds in the mod community, Braid appeared on the scene several months before the equally innovative Flower, and heralded a small renaissance in the industry. One latched onto by not only the games press but some parts of the video gaming community who longed for something with depth, but some parts of the video game community who longed for something with depth as well as mechanics. In fact, it could be argued that the popularity of Braid paved the way for games like Limbo, Fez and Journey. For that alone, even if it wasn't a brilliantly constructed puzzle game, as well as a fascinatingly mutable set of narratives, I will always argue that it deserves a place in the annals of gaming history and is a definite must-play for anyone interested in any aspect of video game development, history or culture. Finally, uh, from Alex79UK, I won't beat around the bush, Braid is amazing. Jonathan Blow is an absolute genius and has produced probably my two favourite puzzle games of all time. I first played Braid pretty much day one on Xbox 360. I downloaded the trial, played one stage and upgraded to the full game almost immediately. It is so smart, such a clever platformer that just left me feeling blown away upon completion. Every world iterating on the last, you never become complacent, but the solution to every stage is so simple in hindsight, which I always think is the mark of a brilliant puzzler. I really like the atmosphere of the game, the vague cryptic text on the level select screen, the music, the story, it all came together as one glorious piece of art i love the way it kind of broke the fourth wall with the rearranging puzzle pieces to create a platform with the collecting of stars i just can't gush enough about braid it's one of the very small group of games i've paid for more than once on 360 and PS3, and i would happily throw money at it again if it saw a current gen re-release braid you beautiful masterpiece i love you <laughs> Uh, great range of opinions yep. there from um, the from the forum. Please, if you uh, if you have any thoughts on any uh, future issues, go over to Canonrent uh, slash forum and let us know what you think. Let's move on to Twitter with free word reviews. Um, if you want to send us a free word review, we usually do the call out on the day of recording, um, and you can send those to at Canonrents. Um, let's start with Darren. Hmm. Corvus says, unsatisfactory puzzle solving. Uh, now, this is from Ryan Heyman. Usually um, we don't include uh rinsers uh, um, in the free word reviews, but I, I like this one. Uh, so Ryan Heyman says, slow ass cloud.
3: Simon Call says, cerebral blowjob.
1: John Salmon, be kind, rewind. Uh, Nicholas Cuck says,
2: Murdnonuk emit Sigart, which is a tragic time
0: conundrum backwards. Mm. You sounded a bit like uh, Zatana there, um, Darren. Uh, only a few people got that joke. Um, right, uh, SMW says Indies to the forefront. The
1: Tej says Chronologic Conundrums. Elekmezo, Amazing Puzzle Mechanics.
2: Mark Hoogland, Surprising Stalker Simulator.
0: Denton Murillo says, "Bouncy Ewok faces."
3: Alex seventy nine UK says, "Puzzling platforming perfection."
0: Okay, and all that leaves is our summaries. Um, I'm going to start with Darren.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I've repeated the word "boring" many, uh, too many times on this podcast, and I apologise, but that is truly how I feel about Braid. And but I. But a part of me thinks this game is exactly how, you know, as close as they, as Jonathan Blow wanted it to be. Like, this is the game he wanted to make as close as he could get it. You know, if you had more money, would it be a better game? You know, probably there'd be a bit more polish here and there. You know, And I can't fault him for that. You know, he set out to make this, to make this thing and he did it. it. But just unfortunately for me, it just, just bored the life out of me many, many times. And um, I'm glad I played it through because it's always been one of those ones that's always been like, why haven't I played this yet? You know, he was, you know, I don't really take Jonathan Blow's character into my overall impression of the game. I'm I'm pretty good at being quite ignorant to that. Like, it, you know, if I took everything as seriously as, you know, as literally as like that, I wouldn't play half as many games as I probably would if I, if I looked into everyone's personal histories with their life, which is probably a good thing. Um, but, you know, uh, can I recommend Braid? I probably can, but do I like it?
1: Nah.
0: So I I am incredibly grateful Braid exists because without Braid, so many games that I love just don't happen. Um, I love Fez. I love Inside. I love Journey. um, I love Limbo. The list goes on. Like It is incredibly important. That cannot be understated. But I just, I don't like this game at all. I find the attitude of the game smug and obnoxious. um, And I feel like what it's trying to achieve artistically, I don't think really actually says an awful lot. And I feel like the commentary on video games is weak. um, And I think uh, the symbolism and the imagery is heavy handed and kind of soulless um, it just doesn't evoke the depth of feeling and theme that something like the closest comparison, like I can draw, is probably to something like Limbo and Inside. There, as you know, in terms of genre um, and style of play, those games are pretty similar to Braid. They're both puzzle platformers, and I think Limbo and Inside are just. Uh, way more successful in conveying theme uh and feeling and uh, uh and using mechanics to express um certain ideas and i just don't think like like the actual gameplay in in braid varies from yeah actually that's quite good to brain numbingly frustrating um uh i yeah i can't recommend braid um i i just i don't have it i just have never really found anything um pleasant about it other than just on a technical level yes certain things about it are impressive but i just it's a piece of art it's meant to connect with you on an emotional level and it just doesn't for me tony
1: braid as a game in 2018 is very different from braid as a game in 2009 you know, I, I listen to what you're saying, Josh, and you know, in some aspects I agree. But also, games that come after a game has happened, I think it's very hard to say. Well, you know, it should be more like that. You know, it's it, it You know, if Brave was made today, I wonder whether he, you know, Jonathan would take elements of those games and and make a better game. And I, you know, I think Darren pointed to that. You know, this game would be more polished if it was released now. I mean, I think Jonathan Blow is uh, clearly from playing, you know, uh, you know The Witness is a different developer than he was probably back then. You know, I think he's probably more open-minded. Equally, there's the element of me playing this in 2009, which was this was a, almost a two-finger salute to the way that the industry had become, just this massive commercial enterprise that was desperate for an inject of indie um, starlings, And Braid comes along and it's, yeah, it's like a two-finger s- salute to one of the best games ever made <laughs> and messes with the player's mind, you know, brings up themes. Do I think they're all perfect and well-explained? No, but equally, I kind of like the fact that, you know, back in 2009 and there it was, it was, it was kind of laid out. And I, yeah, I think if you look the the story behind this, you know, it, it, Microsoft was so hesitant about releasing it because they had done some, your testers have played through it, and you know that the reception was terrible. Yet yeah, it hits and becomes the kind of changes the face of the industry because it allows other games like Braid, better games than Braid, to enter the platforms. Yeah, it may have happened, it may have been a Fez that done it years later. Who knows? But the fact is, it was Braid, and I definitely enjoyed the puzzles more back then than I did now but equally I think there's some really clever puzzles and I think there's a lot of control that is given to the player to make those puzzles. And um, so maybe as we talked earlier, maybe a bit too much control possibly aesthetically. I I think it's really off kilter. I, I don't really like it, but equally I kind of love it because <laughs> it is so, so off kilter of what you're used to. And you know, the art It feels like playing a painting, which isn't particularly enjoyable, but yet it's kind of interesting. So there's elements of brave that I, I think if I was to play the game now that necessarily wouldn't speak to me, but back in two thousand nine they did, and I you know I can't necessarily separate those two feelings between now and then. Um, I personally think brains a really important game. Do I think anybody it's for anybody? No, um, but I do think if you've not played it and you're into quite interesting puzzle games i think braid is worth a look or if you're interested in games that kind of mess with the genre a little bit i also think braid is worth a look um so yeah i i still like blade blade i still like braid um he blade blade is a great blade, movie no, right, it's, not. It's, like <laughs> it's not it's once again it was a great movie um, no. but um no i i i, I like uh braid a lot and um it's been a fascinating conversation um and i love the fact when you have a conversation where not everybody agrees on the same side and even down to the point where our foreign correspondence has been you yeah, know equally or equal ends of the uh, spectrum so um yeah i'm i'm glad we did this show take us home brian
3: i would definitely still recommend braid i maybe wouldn't recommend it for the exact same reasons i would have recommended it uh, 10 years ago um, i I still find the aesthetics appealing. I know I was the outlier uh, regarding that, but I think there's a, there's a there's a beauty to the setting of the levels and, and, and the way that the levels are designed contrasted with what I think is a bit grotesque of the character design. I think it I think that still works I still think it looks nice. I have some troubles with the storytelling in braid. I had the same troubles with it uh, 10 years ago and I think that. It really reaches in a few um, areas and doesn't quite give the player enough ability to to discover all that's there and maybe that's by design maybe it's intentionally obscure uh, maybe it wasn't well enough thought out to execute but I appreciate that reach I appreciate the the risk taking that, that that it does in, in its storytelling and uh, whether or not some of these storytelling Devices have been used before in the past. I think, that, I think that Braid earns the respect it has for that last level reveal for how it tells its story. Um, the gameplay is, is difficult to talk about because it's, you can't talk about it without both sounding critical and praising. I think the puzzles are excellent in some fashions, uh, some facets and very... Difficult in others to the point where it's almost unapproachable. I do think that the platforming itself is is not good. I think that Tim moves like a stone with legs, and <laughs> the jumps aren't uh, aren't great, and, and a lot of it doesn't feel good. But solving the puzzles and moving along in that world can be rewarding. Um, so I, I think that uh, while my opinions on the game have evolved over the last ten years, I, I I do think that it's worth playing through, or at least reading about and watching videos to understand its place in the context of, of video games because I know that we've all discussed uh, previously um, in the last couple hours that, that regardless of the feelings on the game certainly I'm glad that the game exists and am thankful for the impact that it's had on the industry
0: All that remains for me to say Josh is to thank Tony, Darren and newcomer Brian as well as all our correspondents and editor Ryan um, plus uh, everyone listening so thank you. If you enjoyed this issue, please subscribe, rate us on whatever podcast app you use. Again, just a reminder, Patreon is there, patreon.com slash Um, I hear that that Mega Drive Genesis console special is really worth a listen. So if you want exclusive access to that um, before September, um, go and donate something to the Patreon Um, so next time on Kane and Rince in issue 329 we take hold of the mana sword and battle with racially insensitive monster designs in secret of mana goodbye